Well, y'all have heard way too many stories uh, the last four or five years about West Point. And the good news is that's coming to an end. Randy graduated last May. Colin graduates uh, in a month. So the stories are almost over. But I, I say all that because, of course, the story's not over today. Uh, I, I have a book here by, by Rick Atkinson called The Long Gray Line. And uh, it is a story uh, of the class of 1966. I would imagine this class because they're, they're the class that's going to be going on into Vietnam. But uh, what the, I don't know, the first third of the book, the first maybe almost half of the book is kind of detailing what it's like to be a first year student there, a second year, third year, fourth year. And then it kind of goes on into their, their military life and career and what, what happened with the various characters and, and then even beyond that. But the, the reason I'm, I'm talking about this today or, or thinking about this today is this, this, this is the class of 1966. Colin is the class of 2021. Colin is 55 years after this class. And, and what's interesting is when you read through this is how stunningly similar it is to go through there. I mean, obviously, there's been some changes. Curriculum and education has changed a bit. But the experience of being there as a cadet, all the way through, is almost like nothing has changed. I mean, they really have the market on how little we can change. Uh, as a matter of fact, from other things I've read, I guess you could probably go back to the class of 1911, and it would be stunningly similar to be a cadet there. Everything from their first experience at Beast Barracks to their uniforms they wear to honor codes to 100th night You've got all of these things that they go through that when they graduate makes them a part of the long gray line. And that what I just described for you is fellowship. That, that, that's fellowship. You, you know, the word fellowship is a very churchy word, isn't it? We, we don't use that. We, use, we do all the same stuff out there. We just don't refer to it as, as fellowship. We call it, you know, if we're in our neighborhood or at work or school, we call it a get-together. We call it a party. We say we're having a meeting. we got all these various ideas that we use, but in here, we just call everything one thing. It's fellowship, right? We have outdoor fellowships, indoor fellowships, senior adult fellowships, youth fellowships. We've got so many fellowships in church that we've had to build fellowship halls, and somewhere along the way, we decided for a, 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 a fellowship to be really biblical, there needed to be a casserole there. I'm not entirely sure that's the idea. You know, I think we do today in church a lot of things under the name fellowship that can help us get there, that can achieve that. At the same time, I would say... When you and I use the word fellowship in, a, in, a, in our current context and setting, we're a long way from what First John is going to be talking about, what John is talking about, what the entire New Testament is talking about when you see the word fellowship there. The, the Greek word for fellowship in the New Testament is the word koinia. Have, how many of you have heard that word? 
Uh, uh, quite a few. How many of you actually said that word? You don't speak Greek, but you've said koinia. Yeah, I mean, qu- quite a few. As a matter of fact, I would put koinia in a category of maybe one other word. Have you heard the word agape? Yeah, uh, yeah well, unconditional love, right? Yeah, agape and koinia, more than any other Greek words I can think of right now, have kind of transcended the language and become a part of church lingo, haven't they? That, that's a part of our vocabulary. We will use the word koinia and agape, which is two interesting words to have kind of transcend the language, fellowship and love. Now, the, the New Testament word koinia is really not about a gathering. They, they didn't say, hey, fellowship, and everybody thought what time and where. It really was not about getting together as much as it was a, a word communicating an, an idea of a mutual, of an intimate, of a shared life experience. You know, I'm trying to think of the English word that, that more encapsulates what we're supposed to be doing with fellowship. And I think the word would be bond. We have a bond. We, we can have a bond because we both have gone through the same kind of cancer, right? May not know very much of each other, but we both have been through this cancer, and now we've got a, a bond, of a, a connection. The, the military has a bond. Why? Because of this incredible shared experience that so much of the rest of the world doesn't have. You, you can have a bond. You can have a fellowship if you collect rare coins, I mean, there's a variety of things, passions, loves, things we take great pride in. Those are things we will form bonds that we will form fellowships around. That's really the, the idea there. I, I, ha- I had an experience with fellowship just this past Sunday, not, and not even at church. Because you know what? Fellowship is not something unique to being a Christian, is it? I mean, I just think of the things I just described, the bonds we have. You don't, you don't have to be a Christian to have fellowship, to have a gang members have a bond, right? Again, the military, rare coin collectors. A big bond in America is college, especially college football teams, right? And, and so last Sunday, we went to, uh, after church, Karen and I went to uh, Iowa for a quick trip. And by the way, Iowa and quick trip should not go in the same sentence, uh, I can say that after this week, but my, my, we went to see my daughter and Amy and her husband, Danny, and spend a couple of days with them. And when we were about to get on our plane at, in Richmond, uh, a, a guy was walking through the concourse there and he had on a, a shirt that said, Texas A&M. And do you know, I smiled and that, think of that, I smiled, because that's going to be important in just a second when we read a verse. But I, I, I smiled, and I immediately, and, and you know, when we're, this is Gigam Aggies, I got an Aggie right here. Uh, uh, this, this is Gigam Aggie, you know, we give them a smile, you know, you have this brief conversation. Now, th- this is funny how this works. If I would have seen this guy in, say, Houston, or Dallas, or Lubbock, You know, wouldn't have done that much. But when you see somebody outside of the context, outside of that environment, all of a sudden, with all of these people that are traveling in this airport, you and I, we got something going. Just because he's wearing this. And I look at that, just nothing but a couple of letters across his chest. And I immediately assume we probably have some shared memories. We have some shared, some similar 
experiences. And that creates a, a bond in this moment. That's what fellowship is. We may be very different. We, we may be going very different places in life. But there's this thing, this idea that makes us very much the same. And it's important. It, it's, it's important to us what, what makes us the same. And, and so we have this bond. So I, I bonded with a guy at the, at the Richmond airport last week because of a, of a sweatshirt that he had on. You know, folks, I talk about us, I, I try to get us thinking about all this, because as I said last week, the book of First John, the letter from John, the, the key idea is going to be fellowship. I would even say a fellowship of confidence. You and I have gathered here, you and I might see each other out in the world, and we've got a bond, we've got a connection, because we have the same confidence in a relationship with God and a relationship with each other. We have the same confidence in what is right and what is wrong. We have the same confidence in an eternal security. And those aren't just three random things I called out. Those are three key ideas in 1 John. If you were here last week, you know we, we introduced the book. We introduced, the, in, in a big picture, the, the letter. We got a feel for John and who he is. And so today we're kind of starting in 1st John. So go ahead and turn there now, 1st John chapter 1. 1st John chapter 1. And boy, you'll want to mark 1st John because we're going to keep coming back to 1st John till uh, July, actually. We'll be past July 4th when we're done with this. But you'll find it. Go to the end of your Bible, Revelation, and just start backing up. Uh, you'll go through Jude, 3rd John, 2nd John, and then you'll be in 1st John. 1st John chapter 1. Let me begin in verse 1. Just doing four verses today. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father And then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard. This is the second time he's referred to seeing, to hearing, the other time also touching. We have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things so that you may fully share our, what? Joy. Remember what I said last week? I just see a... a shirt and I, and a smile. It's a little pick me up. And boy, God has something for us, folks. So much more than a smile and a pick me up. He's he's got joy. We're going to talk about that. So John really likes, John really likes the idea of a beginning. And he likes the idea of, of a word. As a matter of fact, just to compare how he opened his gospel, which was written just a few years earlier. Uh, the gospel of John was written in the 80s. We said First John was written probably around AD 90. But, but look at how he opens John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In the beginning, there's this word And we find out that that word was with God, and it was even more than being with God, it actually was God. 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning. He likes the beginning, and what do we have in the beginning? The word, the word of life. 
And just for comparison, Genesis, the first sentence of the Bible in the beginning, now we kind of expect that phrase there on the, on the first verse, right, of the Bible, in the beginning and God said, the word, the word came out, the word was communicated in the power of that word. Not really what these three verses are about, but just a fun idea. Whenever you're at the beginning of something, just start with God and his word. You're at the beginning of a decision, go to God and go to his word. You're at the beginning of a relationship, go to God and go to his word. You're at the beginning of a day, start with God and his word. That's just a good, I'm just going to take that from John. Is that what he meant? I don't know, but I think it's a good idea. When you're at the beginning, go to God and go to his word. Now, what is the word Word. I wish they were different. It's kind of hard to say that. Well, what are we talking about when we talk about the word, word here? Well, that word in the Greek language is the word logos. It means content, that the content of something, the, the revelation of something, what something is. And in, and in Greek philosophy, the logos was a really key idea. It was like kind of what created everything. They call it the uncreated principle of reason. That's three words you don't use together, is it? (laughs) The uncreated principle of reason. And it is this reason that gives the order and structure of the universe and the world that we live in. Well, that idea was gobbled up by a a Christian theology, a Judeo-Christian philosophy. And we would refer to not reason, but we would refer to the uncaused cause. Everything causes something, but there has to be an original cause that was not caused, and the uncaused cause is God. And that's a big idea. What is the uncaused cause? Well, logos would fill in the detail of that. What, what, does, what does God want me to know about God? What does God want me to know about creation? What does God want me to know about life? What does God want me to know about me? And the answer to that would be Jesus. Jesus is the Logos. That is a title of Jesus that we see in John. He is the Word. We have the, the written word of God, the revelation, the content of, of who and what he is, and we have the living word of God. Jesus is the logon ton theon, the word of God. He is the content of God. And now we have John telling us, and I saw the word, I heard the word, and I touched the word. You know, at a casual reading, that might just sound a little bit like overkill. Okay, we got it, John. You knew Jesus. Remember, he'd be one of the few people in the room. It's, it's, it's AD 90. It's been five, six decades since Jesus walked on the earth. He is the last of the living disciples. So he would not be in a big company of people that could say, I heard, I saw, I, I actually touched Jesus. But it's not overkill. Actually, what John is is doing here, and this would sail right past us if we don't know the history and the language, he's actually in these opening lines just hitting right in the face a heresy. There's a growing heresy, and this could happen as we get further and further from Jesus. There becomes more and more teachers who have not heard and seen and touched him 
They're getting further and further from the original faith, and heresies can begin to develop. And one of the heresies was called docetism. It's from the Greek word doxeia. I think I've used the word Greek word in the first 10 minutes of the sermon than I have more in the last three years. But that Greek word doxeia, it means to appear as or to seem. And what docetism was, was a teaching that Jesus appeared as a human, but he wasn't. He wasn't. He's God. He is a spiritual being. What we were looking at when we saw Jesus was probably the word we would use is we were looking at a ghost. We, we were looking at a, a phantom. We were looking at an image, but he was not flesh and blood. Now all of a sudden you hear John get up and he knows that, hey, maybe that, you know, he's, he's the guest speaker here today. And, and he knows that that dumb, dumb pastor you've got has been saying Jesus wasn't even real. He was just a spiritual being. And I apologize for saying that. And so John gets up here now and he says, I heard him. I saw him. I, I touched him. He, he absolutely was a real Person. He was a human being. What is the logos? What is the revelation of God? That Jesus was indeed God, a spiritual being, no doubt. But he was also fully human. He had flesh and blood. The logos, the revelation of God, is that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. Gosh, that's hard to get our minds around, isn't it? That's a big deal to try to grasp, but whether it's easy or not, whether it's difficult or not, it is the truth of what God has revealed about Jesus. Jesus is the content of God, 100% God, 100% man, and he had flesh just like you and I had. And in the gospel of John, Jesus, or John actually says, and not only had I touched his flesh, but I stood at the cross and I watched the blood pour forth from his body. So he's saying something very clear and direct about a teaching that is going on in the church at that time. But he's also saying something very important to you and I, isn't he? Hey, I heard him. I saw him. I touched him. I am an eyewitness. That means something, doesn't it? It means something to be an eyewitness in history, to be an eyewitness in science, to be an eyewitness in a court of law. We don't dismiss eyewitnesses. We make great decisions based on eyewitnesses. That's why it frustrates me that we so casually, not, not we, you and me necessarily, but we humanity, we the world today, so casually dismiss the eyewitness accounts of Jesus John is saying, I'm an eyewitness to the, to the teachings, to the miracles, and to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I get why we dismiss that, because obviously, miracles and resurrections are not things we easily believe in. Those are not things we lend our mind to very quickly. And so it's easier for us just to say, ah. But do you, do you understand, if you're going to dismiss them, the burden of proof is on you, not Christianity, the burden of proof is on you, not the Bible. The burden of proof is on you, not history, because we have eyewitnesses. Now, many are going to say, well, yeah, but they're lying. Okay. Obviously, that's a possibility. How do you know they're lying? Well, they're, they're crazy. Okay. 
that's going to take a little step of faith. If we have just one, I mean, honestly, folks, if John is the only person I've ever heard of talking about a guy named Jesus who did these miracles and was resurrected, I might, I might believe John was crazy. This is a ramblings of a crazy person. He's got crazy ideas and, 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 and he wants me to believe him. But, but John's not a random person. He's not a soul person. John joins many other eyewitnesses in giving a clear. Do you know how hard it is to be clear and consistent when you're lying? Did you ever get going with a lie with your parents and it, you know, it starts to fall apart? When you lie, you've got to remember so much when you lie. There's just so much. What did I say the other day? What did I say to them? That's the beauty of, of telling the truth is you don't have to remember anything. If they're lying, you've got a real problem because this is historical evidence. This isn't my opinion versus your opinion or I follow this religion, so that's what I believe. In Christianity, you have a multitude of clear, consistent eyewitnesses who not only agree, but they agree not only over years, but over decades, they keep their stories straight. Okay, yeah, but they've got all ulterior motives. They're not crazy, but they've got ulterior. Really, what are the ulterior motives? Remember, we talked about John last week. He was arrested more times than we can count. He was run out of town. He was tortured. He's watched his brother executed for his faith in Christ. He's watched his best friends executed. I'm not sure what the motives would be for continuing to tell this story because from a worldly sense, all it's doing is costing them. You know, at some point to say, I just choose not to believe them, it takes more faith in that than to believe them. If you're an actual, real, scientific, historical thinking person, because we have clear eyewitness accounts. And John is saying to you and me today, hey, we, we have a bond, we have a fellowship in a very real Jesus. And that bond, that, that fellowship, that means something. That fellowship is our joy. That's our joy. You know, we, we all have fellowship. We all have a bond with someone, with something. I, I, I think more and more today that, <laughs> that bond is becoming virtual, isn't it? And I don't actually have to be able to see and touch. I, I can have vir- virtual relationships. Hey, this is an incredible tool, an incredible instrument. But it's, it, I think it is helping us do something that was, that was already in place before this ever came about. And that was the idea that I can know God, I can relate with God, I can have an experience with God, I can maintain a relationship with God by myself. And now it's even easier because I got this. I can listen to the, to the best sermons in the world, the best preachers in the world. I can listen to the best music in the world. I can listen to it when I want. I can listen to the topic and verse that I want. I can, I can listen to the music that I prefer. I, I can get anything I want at this moment right now. With this. I, I can even go to church with this. Isn't that great? John would have no concept of what we're talking about. And no, I'm not talking about technology versus today and 2,000 years ago. He would have no concept of knowing and walking with God by yourself. No, no, no concept of it all. No understanding that, 
that I can go to church. And by the way, you don't need a phone to do this. That I can go to church and not relate with anybody in the room. Not, not relate with anybody in the building. As a matter of fact, I think John would come back and say, not only is that not possible, you have much less of a relationship with God than you perceive you have. You see, we all have bonds, we all have fellowships, and those bonds, those fellowships, they, they kind of create in us our values. Young people, this is why your parents will always care about who your friends are. And we're always going to think they're idiots. I'm sorry, we can't do anything about it. But we're always going to be concerned because the people we bond with will shape our values, they will shape our activities, and they will shape where we're going. The real bonds we have in life always involve these connections with people. And for some reason, we walk into the Christian faith, and I believe I can experience something incredible right here, very real right here, without anything right here. And John just said, uh-uh. No, no, you cannot. You will not. I mean, listen, what I want for you is to have real joy. I love Nehemiah. He said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Man, not only am I going to have joy in this, it's not about, hey, we're going to get together, we're going to have pizza, we're going to watch the game, and we're going to have joy. Hey, you know what? Getting, having pizza and watching the game, that can be a part of, of building it. But boy, does that fall short of what John's talking about with joy. You know, I guess the question we would read, as we see this kind of opening line, hey, I'm calling you into fellowship, and I'm calling you into this. Our fellowship is with, the, is with Jesus. He's a very real God. He's a very real person. He was in the beginning. He's eternal, but he's flesh and blood. I touched him. He is the God-man. That's who our bond is with, and we bond together, and that's where real joy is. That's what I want for you. That's why I'm writing this letter. And I guess maybe as we just kind of wrap up just the introduction, just the opening lines of this letter, we would be asking ourselves this question, what am I building with other believers? What am I experiencing with other believers? And nothing is not an answer. What, what are you building? What, what creates that, that common experience? You know, we're obviously a sizable church. You can go to church here and obviously not know, know everybody in the room, know everybody in the building. And boy, all, all the time we have to strangers and they come together and they end up going on a mission trip to Nicaragua or Haiti or Zimbabwe or the Ukraine, four places we love, Amen. Four places we have a lot of bond and fellowship with people. But these two people in our church will, will come together and they'll go and they'll be there just eight, nine, ten days and now they have a new bond. Now they already had a bond in Christ, but now they've loved Christ, served Christ together. They've built something together. And, and now every time they see each other, it was just like I saw that guy last week. There's just a smile. That's just a little piece, a little bit of evidence of that, that, that joy. I'm, I'm encouraged. Man, I, I built that. Man, we have a, a, a lot of women in our church who through 2020 bonded in serving our community together, right? Man, I didn't know a lot of these women. I did, I, 
you know, I'd wave at them at church and maybe knew them to call their name. But boy, we took 2020 and we served meals and we served provisions and we cared for week after week after week after week. And now there's a new bond. Now, not only have I known Christ and loved Christ, but I've gathered with Christ's people and loved and served together. Here at the Heights, one of the things most of us are going to build together is we build a life group class. We, we build these small groups. Why, why are we always driving people to that? Because that's where you get with a group of people and you, and you laugh together and you cry together and you share life together and you study God's word together and you pray together and you go do a ministry together and you go on a mission trip together and none of, none of that, none of that, none of it can be done with this. See, our problem is we have reduced church You've heard me say this before. We've reduced church to a song and a sermon. Church is not a song and a sermon. John would have never understood that idea. I guess this is what we've done. The song and the sermon, I mean, obviously, this is what we all gather around right here, right now, right? The song and the sermon is the kickoff. And we're treating it as the entire game. All this moment is is to be kicking us off into all that we're going to be and do together today and tomorrow and this week and all of 2021 as we love our God and serve our God and worship our God and lead others to love our God and serve our God and worship our God. And we're going to keep gathering around here because it's just just come place we just, okay, touch base, everybody, go! This is just the kickoff. Wouldn't you agree with me? most of Christianity is treating Sunday morning as the entire game. Not a few people. Most of Christianity is treating this as the whole game. And then we leave here and we say, you know, I tried the Christian thing. I really did. I, I, I read my Bible. I prayed some. I, 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 gosh, I went to church as much as I could for months I didn't see a big difference. Joy and strength, yeah, maybe some. I don't, I don't, but we leave this huge piece out of the recipe. If all the recipe contains is this moment, (laughs) you've, you've, you've left a lot out of the recipe. And I really want to encourage you this week as a, as an individual, as a family, as, as a small group, as a life group class, what am I building? What am I experiencing with other Christians? And if the answer is nothing, or it's very little, very sporadic, then John's going to say, oh, I got good news for you. There's so much more joy. There's so much more strength to get out of this. Come join the fellowship so that your joy may be made complete. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I thank you for the place I get to fellowship. I, I love this place. I love the various opportunities that are afforded me to to travel around the world and across the street to share life in Christ, and to build life in Christ with others. 
to, to do the work of ministry throughout the 804 and again throughout our, our world. Lord, it's amazing for those that kind of jump in with both feet and work at this. It's amazing the bond and the fellowship that can be experienced in as little as six, nine months, a year, year and a half. But Lord, how rich it is. How rich it is to journey through this life with other believers for 15, 20 years. To have walked together through all the, the ups and downs, the good and bad, the, the, the joys and the difficulties of life. To walk with others through all of that. Believing in you together. Trusting in you together. Praying in you together. Lord, I, I, I pray for the Heights Baptists that we are... More and more, each and every one of us and as an individual and, and as an entire family, God, that we are moving closer and closer to your idea of fellowship, of koinia. And there would be such a powerful shared experience of life in you. We could literally just see one another. And it brings a smile. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.